Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on a shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcasts at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast. Or it's simpler to use a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from Radio Havana, Cuba, France 24, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, and NHK World Radio Japan. We will begin with Radio Havana, Cuba. Five leading global media organizations urged that the U.S. end the prosecution of Julian Assange. The publications, including the New York Times, The Guardian, Le Monde, Der Spiegel, and El País, published a joint letter insisting that the survival of a free press in a democratic future is at stake. A second partial agreement was signed in Mexico that will allow some of the U.S. seized Venezuelan money to be used for relief and education in Venezuela at the discretion of a United Nations group. Radio Havana, Cuba. Top global media organizations have urged that the United States must end its prosecution of Julian Assange, saying the U.S. indictment against the WikiLeaks founder threatens free expression and freedom of the press. In an open letter this week, five leading media outlets denounced Washington's prosecution of Assange, who is wanted on 18 counts, including a charge of spying. The editors and publishers of the New York Times, The Guardian, Le Monde, Der Spiegel, and El País wrote, This indictment sets a dangerous precedent and threatens to undermine America's First Amendment and the freedom of the press. Holding governments accountable is part of the core mission of a free press in a democracy. The letter comes exactly 12 years after the media outlets published revelations gleaned from WikiLeaks' release of more than 250,000 confidential U.S. military records and diplomatic cables known as Cablegate. The material was leaked to WikiLeaks by then U.S. soldier Chelsea Manning and revealed the inner workings of Washington's diplomacy around the world. The letter said that, quote, the documents expose corruption, diplomatic scandal, and spy affairs on an international level. The media outlets said, quote, 12 years after Cablegate, it is time for the U.S. government to end its prosecution of Juliette Assange for publishing secrets. Publishing is not a crime. The 2019 U.S. Justice Department's indictment accused Assange of causing, quote, serious damage to U.S. national security with the leak, as well as putting U.S. government sources in danger of physical harm or detention. Assange's supporters says he is being prosecuted for exposing U.S. wrongdoing, including those committed during the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. He remains in custody in Britain pending a U.S. extradition request to face trial and could be sentenced up to 175 years in prison if found guilty. Assange is appealing against the British government's approval of his extradition. 
The letter noted that when Barack Obama was president and Joe Biden his vice president, the U.S. administration held off on indicting Assange as journalists involved could have also faced prosecution. That changed under President Donald Trump when the U.S. Justice Department charged Assange under the 1917 Espionage Act, which the media outlet said, quote, has never been used to prosecute a publisher or broadcaster. In July, Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador also said he gave a letter to Biden in defense of Assange, while also reviewing a previous offer of asylum to the WikiLeaks founder. López Obrador said, quote, I left a letter to the president about Assange, explaining that he did not commit any serious crime, did not cause anyone's death, did not violate any human rights, and that he exercised his freedom, and that arresting him would mean a permanent affront to freedom of expression. Colombian President Gustavo Petro said last week that he met with WikiLeaks spokespeople and planned to ask Biden not to charge a journalist, quote, just for telling the truth. Over the weekend, a government delegation signed the second partial agreement for the protection of the Venezuelan people with a sector of the opposition of the South American country in Mexico City and thus restarting the dialogue between the parties. In a protocol ceremony at the Mexican Foreign Ministry headquarters, representatives of both delegations signed the document that was previously read by the mediating representative of Norway, Dag Nylander, in the presence of Foreign Minister Marcelo Ebra, the host country. This agreement stipulates amongst other aspects, the cooperation between the government and the opposition in a humanitarian spending plan, such as the repair of electricity grids or the payment of medical care projects using $2.7 billion of funds currently frozen in international accounts due to U.S. sanctions. The Venezuelan government announced this week, quote, the rescued resources will go to strengthen the national public health system in equipment, infrastructure recovery, provisions of supplies, vaccines, and medicines to expand and strengthen the electrical power service, they will give attention to a significant part of the school infrastructure and attention to needs derived from the emergency caused by the torrential rains as well as to food support programs. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu, though the podcasts are not updated. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140 and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 606060 or 6165. At their website, you can stream the English version at noon on Monday through Friday Pacific Standard Time. Next, France 24. French President Macron is meeting with Joe Biden as I produce this show. One of the topics will be how liquefied gas shipped from the United States to Europe has a 500% increase in price by the time it reaches consumers over there. European nations are also disturbed by the subsidies Biden proposed for electric vehicles only if they are made in the United States, which is not allowed by the World Trade Organization. France 24 It's a topic that Emmanuel Macron is keen to address with Joe Biden, the price of gas. American consumers spend $7 for a unit of gas, while Europeans spend $37. That's five times as much. The United States is the largest producer of natural gas, and much of it is transported through pipelines for domestic consumption. But gas being exported to Europe involves more steps. That makes it more costly. 
The extraction and production of the gas costs about $6 per unit. Once at the ports, it must be liquefied to transport it, and the price rises to $10. Once the ship arrives in French or European ports, the LNG must undergo regasification, and the cost rises to $13.50 but the consumer is charged $37, a significant price increase, with the margins pocketed by European energy producers who explain that the market price makes it possible to compensate for losses linked to the pandemic. That's why experts say Macron's trip to Washington won't make much of a difference. If Emmanuel Macron wants to find a solution to the problem, he has a better chance of finding a solution to the problem by going to La Défense, discussing it with the oil, gas and energy companies that have these contracts, rather than going to Washington to discuss it with Joe Biden, who has no direct interest in this process. As France and Europe face an energy crisis due in part to the war in Ukraine, the issue of rising gas prices remains a divisive topic as the EU debates a possible natural gas price cap. Well, of course, the two countries, the U.S. and France, keep stressing how strong their bond, the relationship between the two countries, is France, of course, the oldest ally of the U.S. But yesterday, the French president addressed uh, his compatriots at the French embassy and used strong words, saying the, U the U.S. think first and foremost about the U.S. and then about their rivalry with China. The risk is for France and Europe as a whole to be left out and to suffer um, from that very difficult uh, relationship between the U.S. and uh, China. Uh, the Elysee uh, Palace tells us that uh, Emmanuel Macron, the French president, today at the White House with Joe Biden, will be very clear with a message clear and loud uh, saying basically you need a strong Europe. You can't afford to have a weakened Europe and therefore you need uh, not to help us but to take measures that don't damage our economy back in Europe. This because we share the same democratic values. We are your allies. We are on your side. That's what President Macron will be saying. Regarding the Inflation Reduction Act, that $400 billion aid package for U.S. companies given by the U.S. government, France and Europe says it's unfair competition. And that's uh, one of points of friction between uh, the two countries. Uh, President Macron expecting from President Biden some concessions, possibly uh, some exemptions. But France standing firmly uh, beside its U.S. ally here at the White House. There will be a much-awaited meeting face-to-face, uh, -face, of course, between Joe Biden and Emmanuel Macron. Those reports were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website france24.com as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English. On to Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Delegates from around the world are meeting in Uruguay to create an internationally binding treaty to drastically reduce the use of plastic which has direct damage to the environment as well as contributing to greenhouse gas emissions. Sergei Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, was banned from a summit in Poland of the Organization of Security and Cooperation in Europe, the OSCE. Lavrov gave a press conference, but no international broadcasters allowed in the United States carried his criticisms. 
Following local elections, the Taiwanese president resigned as leader of her political party. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. For many people, it is hard to imagine modern life without plastic. But while it use, its uses are endless, we also know that it's polluting our planet. That is why delegates from around the world are meeting in Uruguay with their sights set on an internationally binding treaty to help wean the world off of its addiction. Turtles getting dangerously close to plastic bags. An image that has become symbolic of the world's plastic problem and one that world leaders are hoping to put to rest. Negotiators from across the globe are meeting this week to work on a legally binding agreement that is hoped will curb plastic pollution, including that found in the ocean. We are joined in the studio by Louise Osborne from DW's Environment Desk. Why is the world having such a problem turning away from plastic? Well, let's face it, it's just so useful. It's um, difficult to find a real alternative to, to use instead of it. I mean, we use it to keep our food fresh, for our clothes, for everything. Um, but we really do need to find a way to wean ourselves off it to some degree because it's a huge contributor to greenhouse gas emissions, for example. Um, it produces 3.4% of global carbon emissions um, and that is set to double by 2060. So it's something that we really need to get away from, not only for nature and, and the way that it looks and everything, but also to meet our climate goals. So. How about just recycling it, using alternatives also? I mean, what, where do those options come in? Well, um, actually, it's a lot more difficult to recycle than you might think. Um, it's also more expensive. So it's, at the moment, easier for and, and cheaper for companies to use new plastic than it is for them to recycle, um, which is obviously something that needs to be moved away from. Um, there is no incentive then for companies to use recycled plastics. Um, although a lot of companies say that they are doing that and trying to move towards that, um, we've seen that a lot of it is greenwashing, uh, unfortunately. Um, there is also the infrastructure is in, not in place in some places, and it's confusing. I mean, here in Germany, for example, we recycle plastic, but not all plastics can be recycled, and knowing what you can do and, and where is, is always so difficult. How do governments and regulators come in here? Um, so the, the governments, um, you know, they could do something like banning plastic altogether. And, you know, in Europe that has been done to some extent. Um, Single-use plastics have been banned in Europe, for example. Um, but it's, it's not always so easy. Um, they will be talking about whether there is the possibility of banning new plastics, for example, as part of the talks that are taking place. Um, financing is also going to be an issue, just like with the climate um, talks. They will have to look at how developing countries can afford to get rid of their plastic problems and also find other ways to move forwards. If these talks go on the way that they're supposed to, um, an agreement could be as historic as the Paris Climate Agreement, or, or that's what's being said anyway. Okay, well, that's the hope, certainly for, for those who care about this issue. Louise Osborne from DW's Environment Desk, thank you so much. Russia's foreign minister has criticized the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe as it opens its annual meeting in Poland without him. Sergei Lavrov accused the OSCE of being anti-Russian after host country Poland banned him from attending. The meeting in Łódź opened with strong denunciations of Russia's war against Ukraine. 
It's been one of the group's biggest challenges since it was created nearly 50 years ago as a forum to discuss security matters in Europe. Uh, Terry Schultz is there for us. Uh, welcome, Terry. Um, despite Mr. Lavrov's absence, uh, Russia is represented there in uh, Wuch. Uh, so what's being said about Russia today? That's right. Uh, the, Russia is represented by its ambassador to the OSCE. And certainly the issue of Russia's war on Ukraine absolutely dominated this meeting of 57 countries here in Poland. Uh, country after country denounced Moscow's actions, its aggression against Ukraine, and pledged more support for Kyiv. But Foreign Minister Lavrov may have been out of sight, but he was not out of mind as he uh, gave a long, rambling press conference at exactly the same time the meeting was getting underway. He trashed the the organization, uh, criticized the Polish chairmanship of it, and said that the OSCE is basically under control of the United States. But once again, the majority of the countries here are firmly against Russia. There's even discussion of, of whether Russia should be kicked out of the organization, despite there not being a mechanism to do that. So certainly here, uh, sentiment was uh, firmly against Moscow, whatever Lavrov may have been saying there. Taiwan's President Tsai Ing-wen is stepping down as leader of her party. Tsai campaigned in local elections on a platform of defiance against China and upholding Taiwan's democracy. But voters instead flocked to the main opposition party. A startling outcome in Taiwan's local elections. Generally, these polls focus on domestic issues that hit voters close to home. But President Tsai Ing-wen took a different approach. In the face of an increasingly belligerent China, she sought to frame local votes as a fight for Taiwan's freedom and democracy. The strategy backfired. The results of the election are not as we expected. We humbly accept them. As chair of the ruling party, I have to take responsibility. I therefore resign from my position of party chair. By dragging international issues into a domestic election, analysts say Chai lost the attention of citizens more concerned with crime rates and a surge in COVID-19. It's been a difficult year for relations between Taiwan and China. In August, tensions rose to their highest level in years, when Beijing effectively blockaded the island with a series of huge military exercises. The drills followed a controversial visit to Taipei by U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, which China saw as a provocation. Taiwan's opposition, the KMT, has long accused Chai of being too confrontational towards China. Scoring strong gains in these elections, the KMT insists it will also focus on protecting Taiwan's freedoms. Despite resigning as party leader, Chai will continue as president until 2024. But her job just became a lot more difficult. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channels called DW News and DW Documentary. Their shows are also up on most podcast outlets. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 
1-800-926-95490. Please, help me continue producing this weekly show which I freely distribute to radio stations and the internet. Many thanks to all contributors. We will conclude with NHK World Radio Japan. Several reports on the protest in China over COVID lockdowns and the easing of restrictions. U.S. officials are upset by an increase in Chinese nuclear weapon development. Canada revealed new security investments in the Indo-Pacific region. Russia and the United States delayed talks on nuclear arms reduction. There is an international conference on bioweapons underway now in Switzerland. NHK Japan. In China, officials are trying to dissuade more protests against COVID-19 measures. That includes some universities, making it harder for students to gather for rallies. Schools in Beijing and the southern city of Guangzhou have switched to online learning, citing concerns over the coronavirus. They've also moved up the start of winter holidays, meaning students will be returning to hometowns sooner and will not be seeing each other in the classroom. Both Beijing and Guangzhou saw crowds of young people take part in protests over the weekend. Many openly criticized China's Communist Party. Large numbers of Chinese police have been deployed in major cities to suppress further civil disobedience in the streets. The state-run Xinhua News Agency reported on Tuesday the Central Political and Legal Affairs Commission was cracking down on activities that disturb social order. To avoid government censors, activists against coronavirus rules have been using foreign social media sites to keep information flowing. It comes as China continues to report high numbers of COVID-19 infection. Over 36,000 new cases were reported on Tuesday, including a record 4,500 in Beijing alone. The Chinese city of Ganzhou has eased strict anti-coronavirus measures after protesters scuffled with police. Beijing appears to be acting to stop public anger over lockdowns from boiling over. Authorities in the southern megacity said Wednesday they will replace lockdowns with bouquets of buildings where infections are confirmed. Residents have been shopping for groceries and migrant workers are heading for their hometowns. The relaxation of restrictions comes after demonstrations in cities across the country against the government's zero-COVID policy. Protesters have shouted slogans against President Xi Jinping and the Communist Party. Beijing said some cities have imposed excessive anti-infection measures. U.S. defense officials are sounding the alarm on China's nuclear plants. They say the country is modernizing, diversifying and expanding its nuclear forces, with the number of warheads more than 400 right now set to significantly increase. The challenge here is uh, the more proliferation there is, uh, the more concerning it is, the more destabilizing to the region it is. A Pentagon report says if the Chinese continue at this pace, by 2035, they will have a stockpile of 1,500, uh, 1500 warheads. President Xi Jinping said during the Communist Party's National Congress last month that his country is establishing a strong system of strategic deterrence. Chinese officials say they would be willing to join arms control talks. But they point to the arsenal in the U.S., more than 3,700 warheads. 
And they say, first, the Americans need to reduce their stockpile. Pentagon analysts also examined tensions over Taiwan. They say Chinese leaders publicly advocate for peaceful reunification, but have never renounced the use of force. Pentagon leaders say they'll continue to ensure free and open Indo-Pacific with their allies by deterring the Chinese from coercion. Canada has unveiled its new strategy for the Indo-Pacific region. The country will invest about 1.7 billion U.S. dollars over the next five years towards security, investment and trade. But it also says it's keeping a close eye on China, which it calls an increasingly disruptive global power. Ottawa says China is ignoring international norms. It cites Beijing's attempts to militarize the South China Sea, human rights abuses, and violation of intellectual property as main concerns. But Canada says China's size and influence mean they still need to cooperate on issues like trade and climate change. Canada's foreign affairs minister also says her country will work with regional partners to maintain a rules-based order. Canada's Indo-Pacific strategy includes commitments to work closer with Japan on security, as well as developing sustainable energy sources. Officials at the White House have heard Russian leaders threaten during the war in Ukraine to to resort to nuclear weapons. They were preparing to raise their concerns during talks on arms control. But they say the Russians have postponed the meetings again. The two sides agreed 12 years ago to another strategic arms reduction treaty. New START, as the deal is known, limits the number of nuclear warheads and the missiles and bombers to deliver them. Negotiators agreed last year to extend the treaty for another five years. They were supposed to meet beginning on Tuesday to decide when to resume inspections of their weapons facilities. But U.S. officials say they don't know what happened. The Russians had already delayed the talks in August. They claimed sanctions made it difficult for their inspectors to travel to the U.S. The latest talks were set to take place in Cairo. Still, officials at the State Department say they didn't get any explanation, just word that the Russians would propose new dates. The potential for viruses, bacteria, and other pathogens being used as tools of war has also come up during the conflict. It's on the minds of participants at an international meeting to grapple with the threat of bioweapons. Diplomats and health security experts have gathered for the first time in six years to review the Biological Weapons Convention. The treaty prohibits the production, stockpiling, and use of such arms. While bringing biosafety and biosecurity to much higher prominence, the pandemic also demonstrated the disruption that could be caused if biological agents were to be used in a deliberate manner as a weapon of war or terror. Nakamitsu encouraged member nations to investigate and respond to any violations. But some delegates fear those from Russia could use the platform to further a campaign of disinformation. Leaders in Moscow have claimed that U.S. officials have supported secret biological weapons laboratories in Ukraine. And Russia's U.N. representative in Geneva has already repeated those contentions.
Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 8.30 to 9 p.m. at 9.865 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. They also podcast at most sites. All the times I've announced are for Pacific Standard Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people to listen to international broadcast, get a global perspective. You will have to look harder these days because of U.S. and European Union prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows, Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with a podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 26th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.